Let's talk about talk, it. Talk, talk, talk. Let's go deep. We all have something to share. No share with Dr. Dave. Hello, and welcome to the Knowledge Share with Dr. Dave podcast. I am Dr. Dave Cornelius, your host. My conversation today is with Diana Larson, the co-creator of Agile Retrospective and the Agile Fluency Model. Let's begin our conversation. So let's just get started. Yeah. Um, so let's just kick it off. You know, I, I wanted to just tap in and find out, you know, how are you feeling about the social unrest um, taking place in Portland and the United States today? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, it's, inter <laughs> it's interesting that you ask it in uh, how are you feeling and not how am I yes. thinking, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it really is such a swirl, such a mix of emotions. Um, I, you know, I'm old enough that I was I was I was very young when the the civil rights movement of the late 50s and 60s uh, came around, but I was old enough to be aware of what mm. was going on, and and then you know when I became and and you know my family supported the the um, uh, the directions that 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 movement was trying to go, and so I you know I had that part of the awareness as well. But I was, you know, preteen, you know, early teenage at that point. So I didn't really get involved in it, but but I knew. And then, you know, around the time of the Vietnam War protests and the and the Black Panthers, I was more in my late teens, young adulthood, and you know, was aware again then, or continued my awareness then. I went to a very much inner city high school. So, you know, my my um, friendship circle was broad um, and diverse. And, and then I got married and I had kids <laughs> and I, you know, and I really lost touch. Um, I live in Oregon, which is, everybody knows, is a very white state. And I was yeah. living in a rural part of Oregon, which is whiter still. So um, so as this, this time around, um, I, you know, I've been feeling um, kind of upset with myself that my privilege uh, has you know, I, I haven't needed to pay attention so much. Um, you know, I'm certainly aware of the Central Park Five and all of those kinds of things. But, um, you know, and so so on the one hand, I, you know, I really want to, my intentions have always been to support. And when I've had the opportunity put right in front of me, I have. And, you know, so I, so I have real mixed emotions about how much I have stepped up or not stepped up uh, to, you know, be what is rightfully called now anti-racist. So, uh, you know, and now here I am in Portland, I'm older, the coronavirus is here, you know, I'm in an at-risk <laughs> group. Yeah. Um, and so I I just feel really proud of the people in Portland who are stepping up, who are out there 
it, we must be on day like 130 or something now. I, you know, and they are still showing up every night. And I've been, I've been uh, following them and supporting them with donations and supporting them with, you know, highlighting through my social media things that are going on. And, and I'm glad to have that opportunity. So that's another emotion there is like, you know, I, that I have at least found some way to be contributing back and to be educating myself again about what are all those things? What are the things I didn't even know about before, like Tulsa and, and so on? Because, yeah. you know, we didn't learn about those things in school. And then, you know, what has happened since and what has been the impact um, on my black and, and uh, people of color colleagues. So, um, so it's, yeah, I, you know, and there's, there's a hurt in my heart about what's gone on with that, but, and then also a kind of a feeling of celebration that, wow, people are really out there doing what needs to be done. So it's it's such a mix, uh, and which, yeah. as I'm sure, is true for pretty much everybody. You know, it's just uh, hard to hard to be uh, just one thing or just another thing about about the current situation. And I feel a lot of hope. You know that things yeah. that things are getting better. I may not get to see, you know, all the things that get better, but I I'm feeling like we're moving in the right direction. So I, yeah. I would hope so. I yeah. would hope so. But I, yeah. I wanted to 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 just make sure that everyone is aware that you're the co-creator of Agile Retrospective and also oh. the Agile Fluency model. And oh, um, you. what are a few fun facts that you would like to share about yourself? Well, um, let's see. I don't fun facts. Um well, I guess, you know, one one thing is, is, just as I've been talking about the things that are going on here in my city, um, I call myself Diana of Portland on Twitter and in and, and some other social media places um, for some reasons, not just, just because I live here. Uh, I grew up in uh, Indiana. I grew up in the Midwest and, um, and I spent a couple of years on the East Coast in Boston and a couple of years on the West Coast in California. But all, all through my aware life, I have been drawn to Portland. Uh, I almost uh, went to college here. I, uh, you know, it came very close. I ended up uh, here for a while for a couple of other reasons on kind of temporary basis. And then it was, it really felt great when I finally moved here. Um, in 1984, 86, mm -hmm. something like 84. Yeah. Um, and so I've lived here, you know, the vast majority of my life. And it really does, has always felt like my hometown. And it feels like where I belong. And, um, you know, back in the day when I was doing a whole lot more traveling for work, Coming back into the airport past Mount Hood and yeah. <laughs> just always gave me a great feeling of coming home. And so that's why I call myself Diana of Portland, because I just really feel grounded here. <laughs> well, it's your space. <laughs> yeah, it's my space. 
it's, it's there you yeah. go yeah so, so digging a little bit more into um the history of portland so i'm looking at historical reports and you know yeah. oregon was founded on principles of white supremacy oh absolutely um, it, yeah yeah it banned blacks from entering living or even owning property in the state of oregon so um yeah. how do you explain the support for black life for the black life um movement or black lives matter movement in portland i am just blown away by that I am, yeah um yeah. well I, you know i think <laughs> i like <laughs> I, you know i'm i it's this isn't my area of expertise by by any you know but i have some of course have some of my own theories um you know portland this was the place or Oregon and Portland was the place where um, a lot of the hippies came when, mm. when, when the whole hippie movement sort of died down in the early and mid seventies, um, a lot of folks moved up into the Northwest. And so there's always been a pretty strong uh, civil rights movement here and a pretty strong peace movement here. Mm. And so, you know, uh, I have, <laughs> I, I have been in many protest marches here, you know, before, before for, uh, uh, pro, I don't like to talk about things being anti-war, right? Because I don't, I don't want to put the emphasis on war, but the pro-peace, um, yeah, you know, movements when the United States is heading off into one of those kind of things. Um, and so there's there's always been that um, people people speak up here. And and then I think, you know, <laughs> at some level, Portlandia, the TV show Portlandia, I think, has contributed um, you know, in the there's a character in there that says, oh, well, Portland is where young people come to retire and definitely young people come here. Young my, white millennials and Gen, Gen Z's and, uh, you know, have been have been drawn here. And, you know, some of it is because we have such a great connection to the outdoors. Some of it is you know, the idea of keep Portland weird, which has been sort of an unofficial slogan here. Um, but I, I but I also think that um, I mean, my first time here, I came with the Eugene McCarthy for president campaign, which was an anti-war campaign. So um, it is it is a place where people stand up for their beliefs. And I think the that now for the past several decades, we've seen more, much more, like certainly more than when I was young, much more cross-cultural, diverse imagery in media, and more awareness. I mean, it was what, in the 70s when the NBA, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> desegregated and, and you, know, we, you didn't only have to watch the Harlem Globetrotters to see good basketball and, right. um, you know, and and so there's now generations of folks who've grown up knowing that that is possible. And I think a lot of the folks that are still holding on to, you know, uh, the idea of the white the white supremacy ideas basically um, are are those who you know who 
came from the past and or, or still influenced by people who didn't have that sensibility of, uh, and not not only racial sensibility, although I hate that term, but, um, you know, uh, L- LGBTQ sensibility, you know, the people are people. And yeah. that we all just need to treat each other like humans and um, do our best, right? And so I think there's a lot more of that here as well, like there is a lot of places. And all of that together, um, I think, has really given rise to, um, you know, to to this moment in time, and 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 definitely. Uh, there's a, you know, in, in complexity theory, there's this, this idea of the um, tensions, uh, t- unseen tensions that keep, keep uh, dynam- dynamically getting more and more and more like an avalanche. You don't see anything, but all of a sudden the one last snowflake falls or the one uh, new footfall shakes things and boom, it happens. And I almost feel like that's what's happened here is that, you know, that the tensions had been ra- ratcheting up and ratcheting up and ratcheting up in ways that, mm, you know, we're making little noises here, making little noises there, but not really um, bursting. And you know, when George Floyd happened, uh, there's been a lot of tension around the Portland police and the black community here for, and the Latinx community here for a long time. And I think that was just, it was like the last, well, what our idiom is, the last straw. The last straw, yeah. You know, it was the last (laughs) little bit that just enough is enough, right? Yeah. And uh, that song actually has been going through my head a lot these days it's just enough is enough and it's time to do something differently yeah yeah so so let's talk about you know your experience with conversation with you know a a black person person of color living in portland about their experiences and also about their agile community participation and engagement right um just well, you know, the difficulty is, <laughs> <laughs> as we've been talking about, there's there's yeah. not a lot. My, my conversations with my Black colleagues tend to be elsewhere. Right. Um, however, I am, I live in a, um, a neighborhood that has been undergoing gentrification. Um, and so it's more, it's a more... Uh, sort of racially and economically mixed neighborhoods that than a lot of the other ones in Portland. And I, um, I participate in my, uh, my neighborhood association has a land use committee and I paid mm. in that committee as I can. And, and so those are my connections in the agile community, not so much here. Um, and I, I, you know, I know that there are a lot of technologists in Portland who, um, you know, that that I could connect with. And act, well, actually, I'm on a couple of um, mailing lists and um, our little 
Agile Fluency Project supports a, a group of folks of small business folks who called uh, Do More, Do Better. Yeah. That is that is that. But but I don't get often get the opportunity to really sit and have conversations about technology with black colleagues in Portland um, and and even more with agile colleagues in Portland. And that is that's one of my regrets. Um, I wish that could happen more often. But now, particularly with COVID. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I hardly leave my house. So, yeah, so unless they come visit me, I'm not seeing them, you know. Um, yeah. But, but you know, walk in in a more neighborhood kind of way. I have more connections and more conversations, but not in my professional life so much here at home. Yeah. Well, understood. Yeah. So I, I wanted to talk about Agile Retrospective. So, Let's just for a moment dream with me yeah. that we could use the five stages of Agile Retrospective yeah. to understand social injustice in Portland and Oregon right. as a whole. Um, how would you facilitate the use of, you know, your retrospective practice to a group of Agilists with limited or no experience with Black, Indigenous, and people of color we call BIPOC today? Right, right. I mean, I would love to see, uh, you know, how you navigate this. Right. Well, I, I mean, absolutely. Um, that's a, that's a thought experiment that I've kind of played with. Um, yeah. And you know, every time, every time something comes up, I'm like, well, what if we did a retrospective on that? Yeah. Um, in my city, anywhere, but. Um, the first thing in this instance, the first thing I would do is I would look for, uh, I'd, I'd look to hand it off to um, some, to a BIPOC facilitator, right? Somebody who could be more representative and, and have experiences to share that, um, and, and a deeper understanding than I do because I don't have that lived experience to be able to share with that group of participants. Um, and so I, you know, then I'd want to participate in the retrospective, yeah. but, but, and, and I would certainly support, you know, however yeah. I could, but if, but if that weren't possible, if I needed to stay engaged, I would still find a collaborator. Um, and I would have them be in the front role and me be, uh, you know, maybe co-facilitating, but more as a supporter. I just think that's so important. Um, and, you know, like I said, I've been doing a lot of more reading lately, and part of it's my time of life. I have more time. I don't have kids and things. But um, but I think about Ibram uh, Kendi's book, Stamped from the Beginning, and, you know, the the amazing story of history he tells there in that book and 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 then also in his anti-racist book he also tells kind of a, a history of his own um, involvement his own experiences along with the sort of grander societal scheme of things that were going on and it, that just reminds me of a timeline and so I think about what if we could create a timeline that was pre-populated with some of the events that a lot of white people might not know about and then have our participants, you know, add in what were the events that were going on for them, you know, and simultaneously along that time. And then just be able to have a conversation about, 
you know, how does that, how does that create different experiences, different perspectives for all of us? And, and what do we want to do about making those experiences more inclusive, helping uh, us to be more aware and so on. And so that's really the first thing that comes to mind is in the gathering data, really make sure that we were gathering a broad set of data and um, and you know then moving from there, um, I think you know I, I would look for guidance from my co-facilitators because I would want to tread carefully. Um, and I also know that for some white people, they it's more difficult to listen if there's not someone who looks like them in the room. And so, you know, I would serve that role. Um, but yeah, but definitely that's one of the first things that comes to mind is in the gathering data really create some kind of a timeline that begins to show the parallel lives that people are living and how yeah. uh, as a white person, I'm not getting the full experience of what my society is delivering out there. And I mean, you know, this is, it's kind of a trope now, but I grew up with officer friendly, right? And I've had to learn that turning to the police is not always the best idea and often isn't. And that in my, my personal experience with police in Portland has been not protect, uh, maybe a little bit serve, but uh, you know they they are always engaged after the bad thing has happened. Yeah, right. So they're not preventing the bad thing from <laughs> happening for me, and and so then I start thinking, well, you know, you know, my bike gets stolen, right? Nothing. I I I have to file a. a a report if I want to claim insurance. So then I have to involve the police to get that police report filed, but then nothing happens. You know, there's yeah. no, there's no follow through. And I'm much more aware that when I bring police into my neighborhood for a relatively trivial reason like that, I'm also putting my neighbors at risk. Understood. So, and, and, you know, and, and that's, I think that's those kinds of experiences are new for a lot of white people. And, um, you know, it's just, I, I, I'd, I'd really like more people to understand how that works. Yeah. So I want to know, you know, after you've gone through this wonderful retrospective experience, you know, what would yeah. you hope to learn, you know, from the retrospective um, outcome per se? Yeah, well, you know, every retrospective needs a focus. We can't just say let's <laughs> continuously improve ourselves. Um, so for me, I would turn to also my um, another stream of um, work I've done, which is from the appreciative inquiry movement. Ah. And I would be saying uh, our focus would be how can we create more effective cross-cultural, including across races, collaborative working relationships and, and collaborative communication in our agile approaches. 
And it would include things like, where do we find those happening now? What can, you know, what conditions make them happen where they do happen? What kind of leadership fosters those kind of effective working relationships? How can we increase the energy that we give them? Um, how can how can we fan those sparks of energy into warm, illuminating campfires, right? Yeah. Uh, so it might that would be really my focus. How do we create more? of that kind of working relationship that where people develop comfort and collaboration with each other and, and be able to draw on all the wonderful strengths and perspectives that are out there. Um, Cause we're missing out. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I wanted to do, and I, I know I, I, I tinker with the stuff that you create sometimes. So I'm going out on a limb here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I want to talk about the agile fluency model and yeah. we use the objective measure and value OMB to, yeah. you know, if we use that to help leaders define what is important to produce a measurable, measurable outcome. Um, I want you to describe how we, you could help the agile community leaders learn how to work toward identifying and prioritizing um, initiatives that would yeah. improve social justice and and i know you and i've talked about omv and the yeah. fluency model and i want to yeah oh, i love i love the way you push push those discussions and <laughs> and push us into um areas that we haven't explored before that uh, that's that's one of the things i value about having you in our in our agile fluency project community um and, but i but only one of the things but yeah. um first i think um it, you know, we have to stay curious. I mean, that's what OMV is about, is about encouraging people to stay curious, to really dig into what is the, uh, what are the aspirations? What are the, the expectations for improvement that people have? Um, and so, you know, where do we find those effective working relationships that I described before? Um, and and what kinds of new actions and behaviors would would we like, right? Well, so if I could have that conversation about what kinds of new actions and behaviors would you like to, you know, what would you like to accomplish in your organization um, toward getting those effective working relationships? That would be my list of objectives from that person, from that leader. And then I'd say, you know, if those became commonplace, what would we see going on in our workplaces? What would we, using all of our senses, what would we see, mm -hmm. hear, smell, taste, touch, feel, you know, how would things be arranged differently? Um, all those kinds of things. And those descriptions would be our measures. When we mm -hmm. can see those things, we know we are getting towards success, right? Yeah. And then finally, uh, what societal, cultural, and organizational um, benefits would we get from that shift? What what did they expect we might get from that shift? And those are our measures of value, right? Yeah. But then I think there's one further step uh, beyond that. And, and in Agile Fluency, we actually take it one further step once we know those things then we can talk about the model and say, well, 
you know, what is it you want from your teams in order to achieve all of those things? And so, and, and then what investments will you make to help your team, to enable your teams, right? So in this instance, it would be what investments are they willing to make? What investments in the future to make those descriptions, the achieving those objectives, seeing those measures, the, those observable measures, uh, realizing that those va that value, um, what do we what do we hope to see? What do we think are the first next steps? Because this is a highly complex change, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and we can only see the first next steps. We can only maybe begin to see around the first corner. But then we go, we go there and then we decide what the next step from there is. And that, that helps us learn what the, the, fun, the next step and the next step and so on. So, um, so I think, yeah, I, I mean, I find that the... Um, the OMV conversation is is incredibly flexible, and I use it in a lot of places besides in when I'm in agile fluency conversations. Um, just because of that, because it really does help us get a very rich description of what a what a leader or another person's expectations and aspirations are for the situation, and if we can help each other achieve those kind of heart's desires or those, those uh, uh, you know, hopes for uh, better outcomes, you know, then we're doing good work. So I'm going to drill specifically, you know, coming out of this OMB session with these leaders, right. um, what would you like to see specifically identified and pursued? You know, you or what would you like to see them because yeah. it's your to facilitate yeah. they're, they're the one who needs to pursue it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so what I can see now as possible yeah. next steps. <laughs> and well, we'd learn more as we took those next steps. But what I can see now, I'd, I'd love to see more um, open space technology style yeah. conferences uh, convened and across many communities uh, on different aspects. And folding in the objectives of the movement for back lives and helping to make those more a reality and then extending to other BIPOC groups and communities. Um, I, I really value the involvement that I, the small involvements that I'm able to have here in Portland um, with the tech community here. Um, I'd love to see an acceptance by white folks um, and you know, I'd like to see more of it in me, um, of feedback about this idea that it's not about our intentions. It is about our impact and yeah. that we do do missteps and microaggressions and blatant injustices. I mean, the whole continuum and, and being able to sort of sit with feedback about that and understand that it's just an opportunity to learn to do things better. It's not, um, it's not that, I, I think, you know, I think, I understand people getting impatient. Um, yeah. Absolutely, that's completely understandable. And in order to receive feedback 
in a good way and in a way that helps us improve, we have to be able to sort of say, yeah, I, that, that was a bad move I made, or that was not the most effective move I could have made. Help me learn to do better. And, and if people get angry, being able to sit with understanding about where that anger comes from and then pledge to do better. Right. So I want to be able to, uh, I mean, part of my, um, training and and some of the early things that I've contributed in the Agile community was um, workshops and things on giving peer-to-peer feedback, right? Not manager to, I mean, when sometimes we talked about manager to employee feedback, but, but within a collaborative team, you need to be able to give feedback to your teammates if you're going to yeah. really make things better. It's a part of what a retrospective is. It's a it's feedback to the team about itself and its own actions, right? So yeah. I, I would love to see people um, becoming more skilled at being able to understand the difference between intent and impact. I didn't mean that to be to come across the way it did, but clearly you were hurt by it. I I am disappointed in myself about that, and I want to know how to get better. And there's no shame in not knowing. We all have things to learn. We all need to celebrate the opportunities for learning. And some of the folks in the retrospective community and and who've been in um, workshops with me know that we often practice the how fascinating when something doesn't go the way we expected it to right um you know it's like oh you know i that was not what i expected to see happen and let's learn how to make that better yeah and so and the third thing i think that i'd like to see is um i I, I want to see what it would look like if we lived in an America that really valued and celebrated all of our diversities. I mean, we, you know, it's so rich here. And, you know, folks have paid the price of that. I think there's a way to be together that is a good way that we, that benefits all of us. And I'd, I'd really like to see us work more toward that end. Um, I, you know, like I said earlier, I, I don't expect to see the full flowering of that in my lifetime. Uh, but, but if I could see some progress, if I could just see some incremental moving thing, moving the needle along, um, that would make, that would really make me happy. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I, my whole life has been about continuous learning and continuous improvement. So I know it's a, it's a, it's an unending journey, but, um, but that's where my devotion is. And so I would, I would like to see, m- you know, many flowers bloom uh, doing, doing those kinds of efforts. That would be wonderful. Yeah. So my, my final question to you is, you know, what is your hope? You said you you feel hopeful. So I'm asking, yeah. what is the hope for the role of agile practitioners yeah. in enabling social justice in the workplace? Yeah. Um, I, I, and even beyond the workplace, even yeah. in, in our society. Right? Yeah. You know, I think we, we're in such a unique position as agile practitioners. We, right. We're treat, we're taught to think of things differently. 
That's right. What's, what right. is your hope? What is your hope for us? Yeah. Well, the the um, Martin Fowler has kind of condensed the Agile Manifesto into uh, two streams of work: becoming more adaptive and becoming more human centered, mm-hmm. and that those two things together can um, move things forward. And and some folks say, you know, if you only do one agile practice, do retrospectives, because if that if those seeds fall on fertile ground, yeah, things are going to get better, right? So so um, those three things together, I think, are really important. And and so agile practitioners that that really are kind of cl- tuned in and clued in understand the. Um, the ways that we can take action to change workplace habits, policies, processes, um, and so on. And I think we can use those, that understanding to, um, to nurture uh, the growth of diversity and equity and inclusive behaviors. You know, our, our, our whole uh, focus on on working as collaborative, self-organizing teams um, is, you know, in our communities. One of that's actually one of the things I didn't mention earlier that I've been so happy to see. Part of what's happened with the protests here in Portland is the protests have given rise to all of these kind of micro mutual aid groups. Mm-hmm. So. At, just people helping people in their communities. And, you know, agilists know how to do that, how to self-organize into groups that, you know, can help themselves into, into choosing their own work processes. Well, we can choose our own community processes and figure out how those work. So I think we have a lot to contribute. And, you know, I really hope that we will all learn to kind of travel that road of speaking up when we are bystanders and we see injustice and then then moving in more to become better allies and then better accomplices. And then, you know, and so that we know how to move into active engagement when needed. And I think that would benefit our communities and it will benefit our workplaces. Right. Yeah, without uh, a doubt. Yeah, and and when I think about it on a larger policy level, um, I remember very clearly I was active consulting work, doing active consulting work when the Americans for Disabil- with Disabilities Act came in, right? Yeah. And just as an example, and um, all around us, uh, office buildings and streetscapes and everything needed to needed to be adjusted to be in compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act. And when I fell and hurt my knee and was walking with a cane for a period of time, I benefited by the fact that there were curb cuts and that I didn't have to step up onto the curb. And, you know, many of the um, the new uh, architecture uh, in my in my environment that was there to help the Americans with disabilities also helped me made my life better. And so and I see that uh, that 
when we take care of the vulnerable, the disregarded, the discounted people among us, things get better for all of us in ways that we don't necessarily, can't necessarily predict and don't imagine. So I think that will be true, you know, if, if we as Agilists can help to work for new policies around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and new policies, um, new anti-racist actions and movements, I think that will benefit everyone as well. And, and I think we are well positioned to do that because we're already thinking in that adaptive and human-centric point of view, right? Most excellent. You know, I, I just want to say thank you for partnering with me today um, and collaborating and learning. Um, it, it, it's just always such a yeah. joy. Yeah. <laughs> we always have fun, Dave. <laughs> yes, I know. It's just such a joy. So I would like to say yeah. thank you. And, um, you know, let's continue to do this. This is the second time you've been in a podcast or one of my podcasts. So let's yeah. continue to do more of it. Yes, I, love, I, I would love, love that a lot. I'd like it too. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, um, enjoy Portland. My son lives there as well. I, I'm always, I, I keep an eye on Portland because also because my son lives there. So yeah, yeah I'm always making sure that, oh, okay. Everything is okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Um, take care. Well, he's got a friend. He's got, yeah. he's got friends in Portland if he ever needs them. So yes. yeah. And, and yeah. since your, your son Willem was his yeah. um, instructor. Yeah. You know, I, it's perfect. Yeah. Great connection. Yeah. All right, Diana, you have a great day and I'll speak to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye, Dave. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Knowledge Share with Dr. Dave podcast. I always walk away from my encounters and conversations with Diana prompted to seek more into the topic we were exploring. I hope this learning experience would also prompt you to seek more and discover how you can contribute to positive experiences for BIPOC lives. It does not take much. All we need to do is tap into our own humanity. You will find Agile for Humanity Social Justice and Impact Series on the Null Share with Dr. Dave podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The Agile for Humanity Social Justice and Impact Series is also on the following websites, agilealliance.org, nalsharewithdrdave.com, grokshare.com, nalshare.org, and also on agileforhumanity.org. Look for the Sharing Black Lives, Indigenous, and People of Color stories on the Agile Alliance website under the webcast area. I would like to say thank you for the music by my niece, Kiana Brow Hendrickson, this podcast is copyright 2020 by Nalshare and Dr. Dave Cornelius. So until next time, be well, stay safe, and connect soon. Let's talk about it. Talk, talk, talk. Let's go deep. We all have something to share. No, no share with Dr. Dave.